Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. Like many of us, Ian Haycroft has been on an active search for ways to be internally free. Some of those efforts fail miserably, and some of them open doors that he never imagined. One of them was towards kinesiology, which allowed him to explore energetic healing as a tool and support on the path of awakening consciousness within to our true nature and connecting to source. On this premise, he created the Clear Mind Way process. Hello, Ian, and welcome to Back to Basics. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Well, I'm very excited because, I mean, that introduction, I had to kind of leave stuff because everything I found about you is so intriguing in terms of your journey. And I'm like, no, I don't want to say that in the introduction. I want him to tell us about it. So I, I did my best, but you, you, you have a fascinating journey. And that, that's why I'm very excited that you're here with us. And so um, you, I think I've had another guest, maybe two from Australia, but that's where you're recording from. I want to share that with the audience. So that excites me. It did take a lot of logistic effort to make it happen, everybody out there, so that you know, (laughs) but we made it. So, so Ian, tell us a little bit about the young, the younger years. I'm always fascinated by what people were passionate about growing up and and how those passions eventually manifested and uh, into, you know, your uh, more adult life. Yeah, well, born and raised in Australia. I was actually born into a rural town, a dairy town in in, uh, the far south of Australia. My dad was a radio announcer, breakfast radio announcer. Oh, wow. my mom was a hairdresser, then became a school librarian. So a very, you know, middle-class Aussie rural uh, upbringing. And my passion throughout primary school and high school was uh, football, Aussie rule, Australian rules football. So okay. all, all my dreams at that time were wrapped up in how could I become a professional footballer? Uh, oh. That was my dream. Okay. And uh then I, I went through high school, you know, did all the right things. I was, you know, captain of the football team, captain of the swimming team, captain of this and that, you know, the, the boy most likely to succeed kind of kid. <laughs> okay. and, and back in those days, so that's the early 70s, it was unusual for rural kids to go to university. So out of our class of 80, three of us went to university. Oh, so wow. it was a very different kind of world in those days. So my parents were very determined. I was youngest of three, and my other two siblings had gone to university, and they were determined that I too should go to uni, which I was happy to do. Of course. So and to- what career path did you choose at that time? What did you study? Well, I studied accounting and business, actually, mm-hmm. um, with a with goal to becoming a high school teacher. And uh, I went to Melbourne University and... Again, but my real passion was the football. And I think, you know, as that relates to later in life, I I was pretty good. And when it came time to be recruited for a professional team in the Melbourne area, I didn't get recruited. 
and yet three other people in the team that I thought I was better than got recruited. Mm-hmm. Uh. And, uh, and I didn't get recruited. And I found out 20 years later that the reason I didn't get recruited because I was still 17 years old. Mm. And the, the, the law at that time was uh, the parents had the last say if you were under 18. So the recruiters went to my parents and said, we want to recruit him. And my parents, unbeknownst to me, said no. Oh, my God. Holy cannoli. That's a story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, because they were worried that I wouldn't take my studies seriously and I wouldn't have the profession that they thought I should have. And, you know, and they did that with the best intentions, right? But I only found out literally 20 years later. Um, oh, and I'm and sure you took was, a hit. I mean, your ego and who you were and how you were identified with, I'm, I'm a good player, I'm probably the best one, now had to deal with everybody got a recruiter except me. That's right. Exactly. It was a great hit for the ego. So in retrospect, it was a great hit for the ego. At the time, it was, uh, wow, okay, so now what am I going to do? And I, it really did cause me, and that's the positive, it caused me to really reevaluate, okay, so what do I really want to do? What can I be passionate about? And uh, and at that point, at 19, I was married. I got married at 19. Wow. Which is way too young because it ended in about three years because we were just a couple of kids. Of course. And when that marriage ended, that was that moment where I thought, okay, my world has really ended. Everything I believed was important. This woman that I loved and I thought was going to spend my life with, that didn't happen. The football career, I thought I was going to have that, didn't happen. And so I left Australia to go find my guru in uh, India, 1976. And I love how you say that now that you gave that away. You say you you left and it was going to be a short trip. That's right. I was was headed away for a year. At that time, lots of Aussie university students would take a year off. See, because we're, you know, Australia is a long way from anywhere, right? So if you're going to go. You might as well make it worth it. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I thought, well, a year, you know, within a year, I'll definitely find my guru and I'll be enlightened by then. I mean, that's such a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, of course, I I went to India and Nepal, went to different ashrams, studied and um, didn't find my guru. I, but I did find uh, amoebic dysentery that made me so sick I had to leave. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> And flute, and I didn't want to come back to Australia because that would have been the ultimate sense of failure. So I went to London to uh, uh, go to hospital for a couple of weeks to recover mm-hmm. and then spent time uh, living in different communities in Wales. And then I, I wanted to go across to the US because there were some, again, I was very interested in spiritual communities and how they work, and I wanted to visit different ones. Mm-hmm. And so I flew to America to do that. Mm-hmm. And again, with the plan of, you know, trying out different communities and then heading back home. But I headed back home 23 years later. That's having, incredible. Uh, also, because to be honest, like you always expect that what you just said, I went to India to find my guru. And now that you say I went to the US <laughs> to find like a spiritual community, it's almost like completely the reverse of from what I've heard <laughs> in all these interviews I've done. But it's great because it brings me to the point that sometimes you don't find that spiritual guru where you expect it. Absolutely. I mean, that's the, for me, that's the lesson. And again, um, some decades later, right, I, I've come to discover that the guru is actually within each of us. 
know, mm-hmm. of course, there are some wonderful teachers and gurus out there, not to say that there aren't. But my own journey, I came to the point that, yeah, I don't need to look outside for who I really am. Actually, just I found that within, right, after lots and lots of life experiences, most of which were running into brick walls of failure. You know, you try this and you try that and you you go, if I just get this, I'll be happy. And then if I just get that, I'll be happy and I'll try something else and I'll be happy. And of course, they all don't end up in the happy basket. So, mm. and we think at the time that this is, oh my gosh, this is a, a disaster. But in retrospect, each of those apparent disasters were the thing that kept pushing me to discover who I who I am, who I was. Yeah. Mm, so beautiful how you said it. So obviously you found something that you liked in the US. I can assume that's all probably love again. Yes, that's where <laughs> I met my wife, my wife of 40, 42 years. Wow, congratulations. Um, yep. Yeah, so we met and we had six children in the US. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So we raised uh the early parts of their lives, we raised them uh, until 1996, and then uh, we moved to China. I had a, a most of my work in the U.S. had to do with um, not-for-profits and international relief kind of work, but of course, as we kept having children, then the kind of salary I could get from a not-for-profit was <laughs> not, not going to make it. Right, so I got a I got a job in a for-profit business who had a US business that had investments in all parts of the world. And my job was to go and do due diligence on different investment opportunities and come back to the board and report to them. And I did this in in the case of one investment in China, came back to the board and they they thought, yeah, this is good. And then they thought, who are we going to get to run this? Well, you know the most about it. Why don't you go run it? Mm-hmm. And uh Oh, let me talk to my wife and my six kids about moving to China. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly, right? And there's a story in itself, right? Because my wife is a very spiritual person and and also really runs on a deep intuition about life. And literally, I can remember we were driving in the van with the kids to go shopping. We lived in a place called Berryville, Virginia, which was a great little town just on the Shenandoah. And we were going shopping, and I said to her, you know, today the board asked me if I'd go to uh, China to run this business, but that would mean all of us going, what do you think, right? And she paused for about 30 seconds, closed her eyes, and said, yeah, we should go. Oh, wow. That is incredible. That is incredible. And basically, I assume that it was something that her own intuition said, yeah, this feels right. Yeah, yeah. And we went. So we went six blonde-haired kids, you know, under 11 in a land of, you know, dark-eyed, one-child family, dark-eyed kids. So we were a walking freak show much of the place (laughs) that we went. And it was actually really, really challenging, right, to be Mm. there. Um, Yeah. And, that, and how then, long were you there for? For three years. Well, I was there for three years, but after a year and a bit, we really found it very, very challenging for the family because we really couldn't interact in the society because we were just so unusual, right? And and we lived three hours outside of Shanghai, so the kids couldn't, we didn't want the kids to go to a, an international school, so my wife homeschooled them. 
but it was very, very challenging. And the smog at that, so this is 1996, the smog in China where we were was just horrendous. And there were all kinds of leaded gasoline, right? So we were actually really worried about the kids' health. Oh, and so, Yeah, so we made the decision that Kim and the kids would go live in New Zealand because it's a beautiful place and clean and fresh and and relatively close to China. And I would stay on and finish off my contract in China, which I did. And then we had the decision, you know, so what do we do? Do we come back to the States, which we love? My wife's American we, and I loved America. But I also missed Australia, having been away for 20, 20 or more years. And I felt that we could give the kids a better quality of life without having to be really wealthy. I mean, I think people in the States, many, many people have wonderful quality of life, but it takes a certain wealth. The gap between the wealthy and the not so wealthy is quite large in America compared to Australia. And yep. Australia's system has a lot of supports in it. So we made the decision to uh, come home to Australia and raise the kids here. Mm, what a, an amazing journey also that uh, because a lot of people resist change because of how we're going to do this. And just how you put it, even if it was challenging and one can sense that, but also it shows that it can be done in a way where, you know, I'm sure your kids are functional kids and appreciate that experience. And and I take it that somewhere into that journey, you got familiarized with kinesiology and that you started on that path that eventually led you to to what you do now uh, with ClearMind. Yeah, no, exactly. So when we made that decision to move back to Australia, I was 47. And, you know, we had six small kids coming back to Australia. We, with the help of my brother, was able to get a place on the what's called the Sunshine Coast on Australia, which is a beautiful coastal town area. But I was I had one of those moments of, okay, what am I going to do when I grow up? I, I, I really felt I could not continue with the corporate life. It was just lots and lots of travel and silly hours and not good for health or marriage or anything. Mm-hmm. And I really felt, no, this, this, this doesn't work for, for us and for me. So I really, I had one of those moments, you know, with God where I had a showdown and I said, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. I got to find something that I can love to do and still support this family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I literally was in the street shopping and someone handed me a pamphlet about kinesiology and my whole system just lit up. You know, it was one of those experiences that I think, you know, many people have or certainly have at certain moments in their life where mm-hmm. everything says, oh, you better take this seriously. So I did. And I went to it. There was a talk that evening, and I listened to the guy talk about kinesiology. And I thought, I could do this. Mm. I could do this. Mm. And so I studied, and um, opened up a clinic in uh, in a place called Noosa, which again is a beautiful beachside resort in uh, in Australia. And I had a clinic for uh, four and a half years. I had had my own clinic and treated people in the clinic. And of course, our kids at that point were all growing, right? So mm-hmm. step. One by one, they started leaving home to go to university or go and do what they needed to do. And our, we just had uh, our baby, who's now, you know, when I think about it, she's now 25, but she's <laughs> our baby. Right? Yeah. Um, our baby, Meg, wanted to go to a particular school for uh, sing. She's a singer and wanted to go. There was a particular school in Brisbane, which was uh, in, in Queensland, near, an hour, two hours from us. Um, she wanted to go to that school, and we thought, well, 
here's an opportunity we should you know we don't want to board there so we we moved to brisbane with meg and she went to that school and i had again one of those moments where one of my clients said to me why don't you come and help me start this business and i said i don't want to do corporate i'm not going to wear a tie i'm not i'm done with that world <laughs> right mm. and uh he said no no we're going to do this differently and i really want you to use your people skills with kinesiology and other things to help make this a good business so that's what I did. I joined that person. There were four of us in the business at that point, and that's grown now to be there's uh, 50 people in the business, and it's grown. And I'm still, even though I'm kind of semi-retired these days, mm -hmm. um, I'm the old guy in the corner, right? Um, <laughs> I still have you know a fair bit of involvement with that business, which is a, a venture capital business basically. Awesome. But, but uses. Uh, crowdfunding techniques uh and we did that when it was not not cool to do it right mm -hmm, in, mm -hmm. in the early days of crowdfunding um it was just you know often you know folks who wanted to get a few people to donate some money for their you know their music lp or something that they would give them a free you know a very small scale but we were branching out to use crowdfunding to do property developments and uh startup ventures so wow so it's you know that grew and changed and uh, so in the last three years i've I, because I, I got very much involved in that business and the kinesiology took a bit of a back seat but in the past three years particularly prior to covid just around covid it became clear that the business certainly could live without me and my wife was encouraging me to retire <laughs> and which i don't really intend to do right but mm -hmm. uh, she's come on i need you know you've dragged me around you know, LA, New York, Washington, you know, Shanghai, Brisbane, all these years, can we please live in the country? Because she was raised in rural Western Massachusetts, a beautiful part of the world. Mm -hmm. um, and she was right. So we got a place here in the country. And uh, so I still work online, you know, remotely with with that business, but I also do my clear mind work now online. I love it. I love it. What I love about your story and your journey is that you are a great example of, you know, having been in the corporate world, having had that realization that a lot of us have, like a lot. And you have, you can identify the people that are, are like, I don't have a chance. I'm trapped. And this is what I chose. There's no way out feeling. You yeah. have the people that are starting to have that realization. And I think COVID did that for a lot of people that say, oh, I, if I can live on this, then I don't need to have this job. And if we can reassess our lives and spend a little less, we are even more fulfilled than if we keep doing what we're doing. And, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think, so, go, no, ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, I mean, my own experience has been, and it's not because I'm so smart or wise, it's just because we often feel like there's no alternative, right? But sometimes when you're pushed into a corner and you have to find an alternative, it's amazing how you do it, right? Because there were many times that I, you know, I mean, we were wise enough or silly enough, depends on how you look at it, to have six children. So that was a yeah. big responsibility. That's <laughs> you know, it's not like I could go, I'm just going to chill out here. I, got, I did have six children to, because my wife was full-time mom, right? But just because she needed to be, right? And she was, I mean, she's the one who really raised our children. So any of the wonderful things our kids do are really, it's because of her, right? Because she just did an amazing job of 
raising our kids. And while I figured out how to uh, supply the income that we could do it, right? And that wasn't always smooth, right? Sometimes it was less than smooth. But I often say to people today, right, because I do a fair bit of mentoring these days, I say, you know, so many times I thought we hit disaster and yet here we are smiling, mm-hmm. you know, still still alive, still standing after all these years, you know. So Absolutely. Absolutely. When you realize how little the human being needs to survive, you know, and uh, and if you're talking about leaving your corporate job and all that, that doesn't mean like there's people that really don't have anything to eat in some places of the world, That's like true. literally. Like most of us, at least, you know, in the U.S., there's big poverty, but not hunger like you see in Africa, like you see in, in other parts of the world. And but we and yet we think that we cannot stop working just because we cannot afford not to work rather than thinking maybe I just need to take a different approach to life. And and and, you know, and that's a possibility. That's why I love I love how you share the the steps and the decisions you made and how you also bring intuition because I do think when you're connected to the source, you hear that voice, that energy, whatever it is, like even how you notice how your body reacted. And, you know, our body talks to us. When we get excited, we get those butterflies, we get that. That's your body saying, this is right. Go for it. Would you agree? No, absolutely. I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, as I said, I do a bit of mentoring these days and, and people obviously, often obviously say, so what, what should I do? What should I do? Right. So I did, I have formulated four, what I call four steps to it. Right. And, not, and again, they're, they're nothing. That's not like, Oh, I'm so bright. I've got this great idea, but I think it's important. Right. So I, I say four steps. First pause, stop, <laughs> just mm-hmm. pause. Right. Second, become aware, just open up to what's, being shown to you from within yourself, from those around you, those who love you, just become aware, then connect with whatever it is you need to connect with and then serve, right? Because happiness comes from serving, right? And not to say that, I mean, lots of corporations, I think, serve beautifully, right? So it's not just charity, but find the way to serve in your life, right? So, but I think the steps that most many people don't do is just stop, pause, Right. Just listen for what's inside, you know, because we often think we've been abandoned. The world life has abandoned me. There's, oh my, you know, oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And we often then jump to start doing, we've got to find solutions. Right. But I think there's a great deal of value in just uh, pausing and going, mm, ah, okay, what's best? What's best? And listen for the answer. Yeah. If you got the question, what is the best thing to do? then it's worth pausing for a while to just actually listen for the answer because my experience is that whatever you want to call it, awareness, presence, God, intuition, wisdom, whatever you want to call it, speaks to us. But so often we're, we're so busy being busy, we don't. there's no time to listen to uh, that which is most important actually showing itself to us, right? So that, and again, I learned that through failure mostly, mm. but... But, uh, <laughs> it's but a powerful a way lesson. to learn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and I like what you said also, and, and it's been a recurring subject more and more about happiness is in service. I think the me included is only recently that I've discovered that myself, although I've always been 
described by people that know me, you know, eager to help and all that. But helping is not being of service. It's that's an extra step where you really are putting a lot more, a little bit of sacrifice in it to just to do good. And, you know, if, if, if happiness comes from service, why is it so hard to, for most of us to realize it and even do it? I'm curious to know what your theory is on that one. Yeah, well, I th- again, I think it's, uh, I think we often have the wrong idea about service in the sense that, you know, over time we begin to discover that we have certain gifts. We're given gifts in our lives. And I think it's pretty simple. Then how do I use that gift, those gifts to help the most people? And it doesn't mean, you know, then having to work for a charity or whatever, right? Because there's also a lot of research now that the best CEOs and leaders of, of corporations are the ones who serve and listen to their people, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like, oh, it's only, you know, helping the poor or whatever. It's about in your life, how can you use the gifts you have to help other people? Yep. Then yeah. go for it. If you're a singer, keep singing, <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. I've got, I've got, we have creative kids, you know, I've got one's a classical musician, one is a jazz singer, one's mm. a dancer, one's an artist. Oh, wow. you know? and Awesome. And, you know, we, we said to them all their lives, try to find a way to use your gifts in a way that means something for you and to help others. And of course, to make a living, right? So they're not mutually exclusive. Mm. And, and again, there's so more and more evidence that those who really find what they love to do, or that's important to them, that has purpose for them, and they go ahead and do it, they're happier, and they tend to attract income, you know. Mm. Mm, not yeah, always easy, not yeah. always easy, but it, but again, we, you know, we have the benefit of living in the US or in Australia. I mean, Australia is a very lucky, rich country, right? So, yeah, the, the big issues of starvation and poverty don't exist here, right? Mm-hmm. So there's not as far to fall as there is in some other countries, right? So, so we should be less afraid, right? And, and I think also we're designed to be helped by others. That's, mm-hmm. We're designed to help others and we're designed to be helped by others. Mm-hmm. And in almost every situation I've been in my life, when it's been difficult, there's always been people there who care enough to help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. So, Ian, I always give an opportunity to, you know, talk about, is there anything that you're working on that is exciting you? Anything, any projects that we haven't talked about that you want to share with the audience? What's yeah, no, a, f- a few. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, I, I think something that I'm doing with a few others now that we're building on, and, and it really hasn't come to surface yet, but we're calling it the wisdom path. Mm-hmm. And also part of the bit, so the business that I uh, was a founding team member of, which is called Venture Crowd, is starting a new platform, which is going to be called Vest. And I don't say that just to advertise, but just just to say that we are trying to democratize investment. So make available to as many people as possible the kind of investment opportunities that have mostly been set aside for the wealthy. Mm-hmm. And so we're building this platform, which will be have blockchain technology in the background, which will be building communities of communities so, mm. so that people can gather together around community of interest, whether it's climate or what whatever they're particularly interested in, you know, med- medical technology or whatever, right, agriculture, whatever it is. And it will it will aid people gathering together in those communities and then finding ways to gather 
capital to do projects that they're really interested in. So awesome. uh, that's exciting. I, I'm very. You know, we're at the beginnings of that, and it's for me very exciting. And uh, and also, I mean, the clear mind work for me, I love it. Right, it's one on one, but I'm also excited by, um, you know, a better world comes from communities i think you know of course mm. individuals are important but you know there are thousands and thousands of what you might call conscious communities all over the world mm-hmm. struggling to know how to work together right and so uh, that platform it. is designed to to perhaps provide a, an environment and technology that will help those communities find a way to work together so i mm. think for me that's you know, what I'd call my noble purpose these days, the thing that I think really is important is to how can we build communities of communities because um, so many of the issues we face on the planet today, it's not a lack of good people in the world. It's, I think, often that the good people and their communities often don't have access to ways to really work together and support each other in a big way, whereas often the not-so-helpful parts of the world are very well organised Mm, that's a so, great great way of putting it yes absolutely yeah. i totally agree with that well that's encouraging and exciting that you know we have people like you in the world trying to make those meaningful connections and and such an important work and uh i thank you for that and uh, you know before i my last question of every interview is about what makes you tick besides everything you share with us what is the one thing when you go to source and you say, I want to just feel alive because I'm having not a great day? What is it? It's, you know, I, I, these days I call that my noble purpose. Well, I often ask people, what do you think is your noble purpose, right? And for me, it's uh, I want to help people discover who they really are and hopefully help them do that more quickly than it took me by failing so many times. <laughs> so, uh, Because my experience is, what people really are is divine, infinite beings. That's who we really are. Mm-hmm. And if we miss that, then we miss the main deal. Right? Yes. So, um, yes, yes. Well, that's a main noble purpose. That's for sure. Yeah, that yeah. that's uh, that's a good one for sure in terms of what makes you tick. One of my favorites. So, well, Ian, I thank you for your time. I thank you for the wisdom you share for sharing your journey with us and 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 um, I'm grateful for for you and for the work you do. Oh, thank you and I'm 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 grateful for you too, right? I mean, I think what you're doing is fantastic, right? It's amazing. Even in the midst of storms and hurricanes, you're still doing this, right? So, um, you know, when I read your story too, it was amazing to me that the you know, the many insights you had through challenges and you know, all the things that you've been through. So, I think you know, thank you for all you're doing too, because I think it's amazing. Oh, I appreciate that so much. And, and you know, it's just um, inspiring to have these conversations with like-minded people and knowing that the world is indeed a small place if you care to look and connect with people that just make you tick just as yourself. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you, and until the next time.